Think about your life. Every day you wake up and fight to live in freedom and against fear. But Christ has already won the battle for our freedom. We didn't earn it. The battle was won when Jesus died on the cross. We don't deserve it. He gives us grace because of his great love for us. And our freedom was secured when Christ rose from the dead. The grace of God gives us freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom to live the life he calls us to. We aren't saved by trying harder. We aren't saved by trying to be good. Only Jesus can save us and set us free. So enjoy God's gift of grace in your life. Be at peace and live in freedom. I want to welcome our Missouri City campus with us. We are two church, two campuses, but one church. And today we get the opportunity for both of our campuses to be together for the next 35 minutes or so. And I love this time. I love getting the opportunity to speak into the lives of, of uh, our brothers and sisters and members of our church at the Missouri City campus. So welcome to this service. Every team, no matter what sport it is, every single team tries to collect as much talent as it can collect because the feeling is the more talent that we have, the greater chance that we have to win. But that isn't always the case. I know it's football season, but I've got a baseball analogy that I want to give to you today. And uh, it is this idea. If you're a baseball team, you want an all-star at every position. And you try your best to get an all-star at every single position. But the truth is, if you get an all-star at every single position, you may not actually be doing yourself a favor. There is a periodical that's called Psychological Science in which it reports a study that was done about this very thing. And they discovered that if you have too many super talented players on your team, it actually has a tendency to work against you, not for you. Too many super talented players. The reason is because super talented players have a tendency to negatively compete with each other. They have a tendency to care only about the stats and only about the accolades and only about the money, and it ends up working against the team. What you really need to have on your team is a whole bunch of regular talented players plus a handful of super talented players. And if you do, all of those have a tendency to mesh together to have the very best team possible. I know this is going to sound very biased. I, know, I already know it. But I'm going to still say it because I really do believe it. I think the one baseball team that breaks the mold about this issue really is the Houston Astros. I really believe it's the case. Because the truth is, if you look at the Houston Astros, they have a ton of super talented players. And yet, though they have all these super talented players, they still function very strongly as a team. So why is it that they tend to break the mold? I think 
it is because of one of the players. Now, I'm saying all of them are team guys. I, too, believe this. But I think there is one player that has a tendency to set the standard that all the rest of the players tend to follow. And his name is Jose Altuve. I really believe he's the guy that really does set the direction of the team. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples. One of the examples is actually, remember when he hit the walk-off home run, bottom of the ninth, sixth game, and it, it meant that they were going to the World Series. He hit the walk-off home run. And it wasn't but just a few seconds. I mean, seriously, a few seconds after he had home plate that there he is on television in an interview with Ken Rosenthal. Now, Ken Rosenthal is one of the best, maybe he is the best, of the, of the national sports writers. Talks way too much about the Yankees. I don't like that part. And yay, God, that they beat the Yankees in the American League Series championship. So this is Altuve, and now he's talking to Ken Rosenthal. And Rosenthal says, what were you thinking as you were rounding the bases? And Altuve said, I was thanking God that he gave me the privilege of being able to go back to the World Series. So Rosenthal tried to shoo that answer away. And so he said, well, no, but, but what were you feeling as you rounded the bases? And Altuve said, I was feeling gratitude to God for giving me the opportunity to go back to the World Series. And so the interview's continuing on, and he says, aren't you so glad that you won the game? And Altuve said, I didn't win the game. Did you not see Gurriel's three-run home run earlier in the game? Three runs. And what about Michael Brantley's spectacular catch. What about that? That really rescued the team. And what about George Springer's walk at a key moment of time in which he kept the inning alive and we scored uh, because of it? What about those things? I didn't win the game. Well, I could hardly wait until Rosenthal's uh, article would come out the next day. I was looking very quickly, and as soon as I woke up, and there it was. And in the article, he admitted, I was trying to get Altuve to talk about how great of a player he was, and he would not do it. All he talked about was how great God is, how great his teammates are, how great the Houston fans are. And here's then what Rosenthal said, he truly is a great man. A member of our church sent me this picture. I want you to see the picture. And I want you to read what's on the T-shirt. He, 
Here he is. He is in an interview on national television. And he's not pushing himself. He's pushing Bregman. So what does this have to do with Sugar Creek Baptist Church? When we don't care who gets the credit, humanly speaking, I'm talking humanly speaking, when we don't care who gets the credit, that's called teamwork. That's when we are an amazing team at Sugar Creek Baptist Church. God has given us an opportunity in this church to see amazing things happen in this region and around the world. But when we are not trying ourselves to get the accolade, when we are not trying ourselves to say, hey, look at me, that is when God uses us. But when we are trying to have others look at me, we are damaging what God wants to do in this church. What God is doing at Sugar Creek Baptist Church is not because of the pastors or the deacons or the members. What God is doing at Sugar Creek Baptist Church isn't about Sugar Creek Baptist Church. It is 100% about the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of us. And as long as we keep that in our mind and our heart, God will use us in a powerful way. We have super talented people in this church, my soul. I am amazed at the talent that's in this church. But we have no all-stars. We refuse to have all-stars. Rather, what we want is the power of the Holy Spirit to so infuse our church that everything is for His glory and nothing is for our glory. Amen? So as God keeps blessing us, as we keep launching new campuses, as we keep touching people's lives around this region, around the world, how do we keep our hearts and minds not focused on us but on Him? How do we keep our heart right before God? We give ourselves away to loving and serving each other and giving all the glory to God. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. We've been going through the book of Galatians together. I've loved going through this series. And we have reached the 11th message in the series. We've got one more. It's next Sunday. And please don't miss next Sunday. Please be here next Sunday. But this morning, I want to talk to you about Galatians chapter 6 and verses 1 to 10. And the whole idea of this passage is, let's be there for each other. And the very beginning of what he's talking about is this idea. We must support each other as our spiritual family. Notice what he says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. 
There are people that have times in which they go through really hard times, really rough patches in their own life. They give ground to some sin in their life. They go through some heartache or some difficulty in their own life. And maybe they're beginning to drop away. What is it that we are to do? How are we to respond? Well, he actually gives us three steps that we are to follow when we see that happening to someone else. And the first step is simply this. Make sure that my life is right before God before I begin trying to rescue someone else. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, restore that person. This idea of a person who is overcome by some sin. It means to be caught in the grasp of. It's to be caught in the, the clutches of some sin in their life. Maybe it is some sin of, of gossiping or it's some sin of bitterness or some sin of moral failure, whatever it is, but you see another person and they're walking away. Where is that person? I'm not seeing that person anymore. They won't, don't want to be at church because being around church people makes them feel all the more guilty, so they just disappear. When you see this beginning to happen, you got to reach out and you got to love them and you got to care for them and you got to bring them back. You who are godly do this. The word godly in this verse does not mean perfect. He's not saying you who are perfect because therefore no one would do anything, but you who are godly. A person who's godly is a person whose life is clean and whose walk with Christ is authentic. They're not perfect. They mess up. But they're living an authentic Christian life. That person is in a position to help a wayward brother or sister. But before we go to start trying to help that person, bring that person back, we need to spend some time and make sure, he's telling us, make sure your heart's right. Make sure you are clean before God. So we need to pull away. Before we go do anything, we need to pull away. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to spend time in prayer and fasting. We need to spend a, have a cleanup time in our own lives. Then second, he says the second step is this. We must remember that a right attitude is even more important than right words. Because what? When we are praying, we're trying to get ourselves together and, and trying to get ourselves right to go, to, to go uh, talk to this person. One of the things we're praying for, oh God, give me the right words. Give me the right words. But God is whispering to our hearts and more important than right words is right attitude. I'll give you the words when you need them, but it's the attitude that I, make, I want you to make sure is right. So what is the attitude? Well, notice what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, if any believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. The first characteristic of a right attitude is gentleness. Have you ever met gentle people? Gentle people are people who are patient and not harsh. Gentle people are people who are patient, 
They're not harsh. They're not mean. They're not overreactive. Gentle people are kind and are considerate. And God is saying, even if you, this isn't your normal, get your attitude right. Be patient. Get your patience right. Get, get your kindness quotient right. Get your, get your attitude right. And second of all, he says, the, uh, a right attitude is a realistic view of my own weaknesses. It's the attitude of humility. And so I'm going to be honest, God, about what is true about me. You, you and I can't fool God anyway, so let's just go to God and be honest about the truth of ourselves, our own weaknesses, and go with a humble spirit. Now, he says, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So what does that mean? Well, one of the things that that means is here you are, you're trying to help somebody, and maybe as you're in this conversation with that person and they're talking about their sin, and maybe it's something salacious, and don't get caught up in that. Don't even press to get more information because the truth is that person could actually draw you into temptation. Or maybe it's bitterness that they have in their heart towards somebody. Well, everybody that is bitter and talking to somebody else is trying to convince that somebody else to have as much bitterness toward the other person as they have. So they talk to you about all the bad stuff of this person and all the terrible stuff of this person because they want you to enter in to their anger, to their bitterness, to their even maybe hatred. Don't get caught up in that is part of what he is saying. And part of what he is saying is this idea, but for the grace of God, there goes me. It's humbling when we realize, but for the grace of God, there goes me. And the truth is, one day it may be me, and somebody else may need to come and help me out of the ditch. So I'm going to have a humble heart knowing I would hope that the person who comes one day to me will have the same humble heart. The third step that he gives to us in the passage is we must be willing to get involved in the person's life. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help. Help that person back onto the right path. This is not an event. This is a process. You are helping them share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. It's not good enough to preach to them. It's not good enough to say, well, I'll pray for you. Well, okay, but that's not good enough. you got to grab hold of their hand. I'll help you. Get back onto the right path. It's a process. It's not an event. Part of restoring a person is bending down and helping to shoulder some of the load. That's what he's saying in verse 2. There is a primary difference between sharks and dolphins. They run in packs, they uh, swim together, they are a partner with each other to gather food. They, they have a lot of similarities if you, they both swim. But there is a primary difference between the two. A shark 
shark group, they do help. But what happens when one shark gets too close to a coral reef and scrapes itself hard enough that it creates an injury and even draws blood? Well, the moment there is a sniffing of blood in the water, the other sharks turn and eat that shark alive. We were buddies, but now you're eating me. And that is how sharks are. But dolphins, not so. Dolphins, the crazy thing about dolphins is that a dolphin can get injured and maybe injured way down in the water and now doesn't have the energy to get back up and to breathe because dolphins have to breathe air. So what happens is, is that if the other dolphins notice that, they see that, they know this is a critical moment. They get underneath that dolphin that's injured and actually push the dolphin all the way to the top of the water. That's amazing. They go hunting for that dolphin. You stay right here. We'll be back in a few moments. They get food. They bring food back to the injured dolphin. And if they're headed somewhere, and they all seem to know it, they get, and they know this dolphin can't make it, they get around the dolphin and push this dolphin all the way to where they're going. They are amazing. So who are we, Sugar Creek? Who are you, Missouri City? Who are you, Sugarland? Are you sharks or dolphins? Somebody gets in trouble, someone is in some sin, someone is fallen off somewhere and, and in trouble, and do we gossip? Oh, I got to tell you about this. Oh, tell me everything about this person. Just tell me the whole story. Just to be able to pray, of course, for the person, but I want to hear every single thing. Malign them, criticize, berate them. Who do they think they are? Do we eat each other alive? Are we like the army that shoots its wounded? Are we dolphins? Do we get under, help each other, bring food to care for? Who are we? Ian O'Gorman, at least at the time of the story, was uh, in the fifth grade, 11-year-old little boy and uh, in the fifth grade, and he got cancer, and he had to have chemotherapy. And he, the doctor said, when we go through chemotherapy, Ian, you're going to lose all your hair. So his dad took his little fifth grader to the barber and said, let's just Let's cut it all off, and so when you start losing your hair, it won't be as noticeable. Well, Ian's buddy in fifth grade is um, Kyle, and Kyle heard what was going on. So he got with the other 11 boys that 
were also in fifth grade in Ian's class. He told them what was going to happen, and with the permission of their parents, they all went to the same barber, and they all got everything, all their head, not their head cut off, their hair cut off, got all their hair cut off. Why? So that when Ian came back, he wouldn't feel conspicuous. Hey, we all look this way. And when Ian's dad heard this, he wept that these boys would care that much about his son. And they would not have ever been able to articulate the theology, but this is what Jesus meant when he said that when you bear each other's burdens, you are demonstrating the law of Christ, the law of love. Pastor Liban Abraham at Missouri City told me this story. He said that there was a, a woman that came to uh, Missouri City, and she had gone through such, such hard times and broken just had been so mistreated by people, and she had just come, she had come, she came wounded. And when he realized this, he asked a particular small group, a, a connect group, would you surround this lady and bring, bring her into your group and love her and be with her and live life with her and support her? And they said, you bet we will, and they did. They just loved her and just supported her. And then she discovered that she had cancer. And she went through the treatments and all this. But she has just found out she's cancer-free. And she wrote this note. And here's what she said. I know it is only through your fervent prayers I am healed. I am so glad to have met you. It is because I dared to try Jesus and believe in him that I am healed and have peace in my life. My story is testimony to what mighty believers in a church can do. Taking a total stranger and loving on me as Christ loved his church as one of their own without doubt and question or hesitation. This exemplifies a solid, rooted, spirit-filled, believing church with true works of God, just as you have done for me. Please don't stop doing for others. To God be the glory. I'm in tears right now. Thank you, Missouri City, for how you have demonstrated Jesus. This is what Jesus is talking about we got to be there for each other. And then, second, invest in others around you by helping to meet their needs and not just your own. Galatians 6, 7, and 8, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. I have mentioned this, these two verses several times in messages in my 17 years here, and I have talked to myself so many times. I have talked to myself so many times, this passage of Scripture, these two verses, and preached them to myself. 
God will not be mocked. We will reap what we sow. And every time that I have thought about these two verses and I preach about them, I've preached about them with the idea of sin. I've I've thought about them in the context of sin. Look, you you keep going down this direction, you are going to reap from it because God will not be mocked. And the application of that is appropriate. It is right. It's okay to apply the two verses in that way. But Pastor Juan Carlos Heredia, our Spanish pastor, opened my eyes to a different way of viewing the two verses. This doesn't mean it cancels out the first way. It doesn't. But this is a different way to view those two verses. And how he he put it to me was this. the, the, The the understanding of the two verses has to be in conjunction with the two verses that come after it. So look at what it says in the two verses that come after it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, and that's the key word, therefore, Every time you and I are reading the Bible and we come to a therefore, we need to stop and see what it's there for. Because therefore is always looking backward. It is always looking at what has just been said. He is making a point. So he says what he's saying, and then he says, therefore, you can draw this conclusion based upon what I've just said. So notice what he says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And Pastor Juan Carlos made this point, and he's exactly right. He opened my eyes to this, that what Paul is talking about in verses 7 and 8 and 9 has to do with verse 10 that he's talking about the resources. He is saying invest the resources. Sowing and reaping. You invest resources in a wrong way, you get a wrong result. In a right way, you get a right result. According to Paul, we have two choices about our relationships with each other. We can either sow for good or we can sow for selfishness. Our resources. Our resources are our time. They are our talents. They are our money. It is the very thing Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust does corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But so, but, but, Store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt and thieves cannot break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be. I do not have time to care about other people. Have you seen my schedule? I do not have enough resources to help other people. Have you seen my income? I do not have time, and I don't have energy, and I don't have talents to take everybody else but just me. And right now, all my life is about me. Well, God says, if you sow, 
to that, you won't like the outcome. Because part of what life is to be about is to sow seeds of reaching people for Christ, of caring and loving other people, to not just be about you. Both Jesus and Paul are saying invest your resources for good. Use your resources to do good to others, not just lavish for yourself. It was six years ago. It was in September of... of, um, 2013, so six years, just a little past six years ago, that a man, we don't even know his name, he's called Mr. A, uh, this man had a stroke at the age of 49, 50 years of age in Brazil. He had a stroke, and he got over the stroke. And so, according to the uh, Journal of Neuroscience, they said that a strange thing happened to him. He, after he got over the stroke, had a pathological generosity. What is that? A pathological generosity. That was pretty interesting. They only call him Mr. A, and the physicians said that the stroke must have affected him neurologically or something because he began to act very, very, very strangely. His wife said he began to give to total strangers. Give to meet their needs. He, he would meet kids, and he would buy them candy and, or soda or food uh, for their home, and he didn't even know who these kids were. And he must have been well-to-do because he, he uh, was a manager of a major corporation in Brazil, and he quit his job. And the man was asked, what is going on with you? And he said this. He said, in this time of my stroke, I saw death from close up, and I want to be in, this is his term, in high spirits for the rest of my life. So his doctors put him on antidepressant medication, but his pathological generosity remained unchanged. May we all have pathological generosity. May we all get this illness somehow. And Paul is saying, don't quit doing the right thing. Galatians 6, 9 and 10, let us not become weary in in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to who? To all people. To all people. What about people we don't like? To all people. What about people that don't live as as holy as we do? All people. What about people that don't go to Sugar Creek? To all people. To all. What about people who are so mean and so stinky? To all people. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is a really good verse just before Thanksgiving with your extended family. Cheetahs survive in Africa by running down their prey, and they are the fastest animals in the world. Did you know that a cheetah can go from zero to 70 miles an hour? It's unbelievable. 
70 miles an hour can run 70 miles an hour, but can only do it for a little while because cheetahs have, a, have small lungs. It's like God was so fair. Okay, you can run really fast, but only for a little bit of time. So he's giving uh, all of the prey at least, okay, you get a little bit of chance here. Don't be a cheetah. When it comes to doing good, what I mean by that is don't do good in spurts. Okay, well, I was really nice to that person, and okay, I'm done now for at least a month because I did it, and i got to reel it back and get back to being selfish. Don't have spurts. Make this a part of who you are. That's what it's about. And here's what Jesus tells us. He says in Matthew 6, 3, But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. The takeaway, God sees. God sees. You don't have to announce this. God sees. So let's be there for each other. And here's my question. Who is the person God is calling you to be there for right now? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And we ask that you would move in hearts. I pray on both campuses, Father, for everyone that is listening to me right now who does not know Jesus as Savior. Oh, do they need Jesus. And what an amazing transformation Jesus could bring into their life. So I pray, Father, that you would move in their hearts, that they would receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior today. And I pray for those who are visiting this church, and there's a sense in their heart that this place just feels like home, that today they would join Sugar Creek Baptist Church. And, Father, for whatever the next step is in our lives, move in hearts to say yes to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.